Welcome to Animalia, a podcast all about making it easy and inclusive to learn about this big, beautiful planet, the life we share it with, and how to protect it. This is the five-minute-ish abbreviated version of our episode about carbon capture and carbon removal. If you're interested in this topic and anything you learn here in the short version, we encourage you to go check out the full-length episode. Let's travel back in time all the way to the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio. Back then, there was a lot of momentum behind capturing carbon from coal-burning plants as it was released as a tool to lower the amount of greenhouse gases that make their way up to the atmosphere. Fast forward to today. Well, that promise from the coal industry specifically really never materialized, at least not at scale. And since 1992, we have increased the amount of carbon in the atmosphere by 60%. Well, now we have an even more ambitious goal ahead of us. Here in the U.S., we want to lower our emissions by 50% by 2030. But as of today, we're on pace to actually increase them by 16%. Enter carbon removal. Carbon removal may be an important tool for hitting these targets, although it doesn't and shouldn't influence our need to lower emissions in the first place. First, it's helpful to understand the difference between carbon capture and carbon removal. Joining us today is Rory Jacobson from carbon180.org. Carbon capture or carbon capture and storage, often called CCS, is an emissions reduction or emission avoidance technology, right? So this is, you can think at the end of the smokestack at an industrial facility or a power generation facility, there's basically a scrubber or a filter that is going to remove the carbon dioxide from the emissions, or at least a large part of it. I think typically the capture rate is around 90%. So this is a technology that, again, helps us turn off the faucet, reduce the amount of emissions that we're putting into the atmosphere. Now, carbon removal, and especially the engineered carbon removal technologies, like direct air capture, for example, are actually technologies that allow us to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. This is basically the air purifier of our entire atmosphere, which is to say that it's basically a filter with a fan that uses electricity and a heat source to scrub carbon dioxide that is already in our atmosphere. And so the really important distinction there is that direct air capture and carbon removal let us clean up our past mess, right? It allows us to take back those legacy emissions that we've already contributed to climate change and actually ultimately to reduce the overall amount of warming that we have. There is a helpful analogy using a bathtub that illustrates the need to both lower emissions and increase our ability to remove carbon already in the atmosphere. One of the really helpful ways to think about this is sort of the bathtub problem. So if your bathtub is overflowing I and mean, it's going onto your floor and first sensible thing that you're gonna do is turn off the faucet, right? That's, that's stopping the emissions that we're already generating today from fossil energy sources and from our agriculture and forestry and land use changes. But then the second thing that you're gonna do is you're probably gonna open the drain, right? You're gonna empty some of that water. And I think that's the work that Carbon 180 is trying to do. We're trying to remove the emissions that are already in the atmosphere. I think, you know, we can see now that the climate that we have is currently unlivable for a large number of people on our planet. And particularly here in the United States, we've contributed about a quarter of that stock to the atmospheric increase in global CO2 concentrations. The challenge with carbon removal has been cost and scale. There's a lot of carbon in the atmosphere, way too much. But from a concentration standpoint, it's only 0.04 of air captured, making it very inefficient and thus costly to remove. There's also a significant operational cost of all of the energy that's going in to to capture that CO2, to recycle your capture material over and over again is, is costly. 
I think when the first estimates of direct air capture came out, they were around $800 to $1,200 per ton, which is overwhelmingly much higher than sort of any given abatement cost with the exception of maybe things like EVs, right? So it turns out it's a lot cheaper to actually just clean up your mess in the first place, right? Shut off the faucet first. But it also turns out that we understand that our climate right now is inhospitable and that, you know, current climate damage just likely warrant this emergency deployment. And so the Orca facility that Climeworks just launched, I think only about two weeks ago now, is, is the first facility that is capturing sort of commercial scale levels of CO2 and actually storing them underground, which is a really important feature of that facility. They actually are using geothermal energy to operate the facility in its entirety and injecting into basalt rock there right at the location, which is really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a very unique situation that they have. But I think the thing that we do understand about you know things like solar and wind is that the more you deploy them commercially and the more modular you can make your technology, the further you can learn by doing. And I think that really direct air capture is going to be an experience of learning by doing in the sense that we know that costs will decline with commercial experience and deployment. In the full episode, Rory and I discuss some different things that can bring these costs down and make carbon removal a bigger part of our climate solutions going forward. But one of the areas he stressed is the importance of policy. Policy needs to play a role here, right? So should we offer subsidies to near-term projects, you know, for example, ranging from soil carbon sequestration to direct air capture, you know, with non-extractive geologic storage, so not EOR, instead injecting in things like saline aquifers? Absolutely. I, I think our government has a tremendous role to play in buying down the cost of these technologies to make it more viable for companies to later scale them up. I also think that policy has other roles. Like I think we've more or less acknowledged that a, a carbon tax isn't happening anytime soon, mostly due to unfortunate political reasons. However, I do think that there are important considerations for things like carbon take back obligations, right? So Dr. Miles Allen at University of Oxford is one of the first sort of thinkers on this issue. But should there be an obligation for, you know, companies and fossil fuel producers to take back some of the emissions that they've contributed to climate change? I think absolutely. And I think, you know, policy is going to play a crucial role, especially over the next decade in, in the research and development of these technologies, but also bringing them to commercial scale. And I think, you know, there, there are a lot of exciting things happening. This is really interesting technology that has long had a big promise, but has yet to live up to it. Now, there are many reasons to think it finally can. If you find this interesting, please go ahead and check out the full episode. And don't forget to follow Animalia on social at Experience Animalia. And please also go and support Rory and the team at Carbon 180. Their link is in our show notes.